Alrighty, grab your Bibles, hold them up. This is my Bible. God's Holy Word. I can be what it wants me to be. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will not leave the same. All right, Mark, chapter number 12. We're starting our new series this morning. We should be in it for about uh, five weeks, it looks like. And so I'm trying to keep them shorter than I did last year. I don't know about you. Well, going through Galatians and Ephesians was enjoyable and thought-provoking and all of that. The only fact that we only made it through two books of the Bible last year. I don't know. Maybe it's my OCD, but... It's really bad when the speaker gets a little bored. And I mean, there was all kinds of important things in there, and that's why I did it, but it's like, we're still here. <laughs> because there was a lot in there. And so I've tried to do my best a little bit. But the uh, reaching ownership, like I said, it's going to be a little more practical for the last few months. I've been giving you all kinds of little tidbits of information and I was telling them in Sunday school, you can give people all the information you want, but if you don't really tell them how to apply it. You haven't done them any good. And so hopefully this series will be a little bit more uh, practical. Reaching ownership. But if we're going to reach ownership, if we're going to handle things the way that God wants us, desires us, created us to behave here on this earth, uh, the first thing, and that's the title of today's message is the foundation of ownership. Foundation of ownership. Here in Mark chapter number 12, starting in verse number 1, it says, And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to the husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another and they killed him and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will revere, or they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said unto themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have not ye not read this the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come before you this morning, and we're thankful that you allowed us to come to your house, Lord. Learn from you, learn about you, how do we can uh, become the ownerships in our life, the stewards that you want us to be. Lord, I just pray that you'd be honored and glorified in everything that we say and do this morning, Lord. We ask these things, your name, amen. 
This passage describes an event that occurs during the final days before Jesus was crucified. The religious leaders were questioning Christ's ownership and authority, and Jesus, the master teacher, tells them a parable to help them understand what poor stewards they had been of what God had given them. The principle here, the foundational principle, is this. Ownership is a growing love for the Son. Ownership is a growing love for the Son. I know I've I told you this story before, but it was years ago. It was in England, and uh, Lord Duke, I forget, but it was someone with wealth and money and prestige and power. Uh, they died. And their son wasn't the most handsome son in the world. Uh, he had some physical disformities. And everyone wanted to, they held an auction like they did. And everyone went to this auction. Because they had lots of beautiful pieces, uh, furniture and paintings and uh, all kinds of things. And the auctioneer stood up and he says, the first thing that we're going to auction off is a portrait that hung in the entryway of the, the family. And it was a portrait of the son. And like I said, he a little bit disformed physical abnormalities. And everyone was, no one bid on it. And finally, in the back, the butler that took care of the family and uh, ultimately uh, took care of the son, if I remember right, offered $10, which I realized you know, several years ago was more than it is today, but it still isn't all that much. $10. All of the, all of the savings that he had uh, occurred while working for the family, he bought that picture just so the auction could get moving. And after the butler came and took the picture, the auctioneer announced that the auction was over. And in the will, it stated this. Whoever takes the son gets everything. Whoever takes the son gets everything. Listen, if we're going to be the Christians and the people that God wants us to be, we have got to have a love for the son. Some good stewards, good owners are appreciative of God's provision. Listen, there's no question that God's taking care of us. I know it was, it was a lot last year when I first made this statement. But listen, if, if you're a homeless person in America, you have no car, you have no job, you have no house, you have absolutely nothing, but you live in America, you're better off than 85% of the world. Just simply living in America. And that may have dropped lately with getting hacked and all of the fun things that have been going on. Maybe we're only better than 80% of the world now. I don't know. I haven't seen the statistics lately. But listen, God has blessed us. I don't know anybody here that, that doesn't have a house. The girls were saying that they had to go clean their house yesterday. Listen, we, we, we all have a house. We all have access to a car. You know, some of us want to drive and we're old enough to drive yet, but you, your family at least has one car. No one's out begging bread. 
The Lord has been good to us. Listen, they understand exactly what Jesus is saying here because it says in verse 12 that they knew that Jesus was talking to them. They understood what was going on. Listen, the nation of Israel, the chosen people that God had blessed in unique ways, but all throughout history, they had rejected God and shown their disdain by killing his prophets. Look at Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Listen, <laughs> Hebrews was written to the Jews. They were written to the Hebrew people. And I realize that we can take application from that today. And throughout history, there have been times where the people of God has been mistreated. But ultimately and literally, this was written to the nation of Israel, describing to them how they had mistreated the people that God had sent to point them toward the Savior. That's found in what we refer to as the faith chapter. Look at the first verse. Now, therefore, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by what? Faith. The elders. Who? Well, the people that we just read about it in, towards the end of the chapter. And obviously the other ones listed here, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, those, I mean, it, them, elders obtained they reached what they didn't reach perfection but they reached the point that god wanted them to have in their life they owned it see god has entrusted us he has entrusted them with land he multiplied their seed and he blessed them like no other nation. And, and we're actually going to talk about this tonight in, in our series about uh, the unsaved Christian. If, if you think America is the New Testament equivalent to the nation of Israel, then you need to be here tonight because I'm going to tell you that. Well, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. But anyway, so many times that we as Christians, we, we equate the blessings of God that, that he gave to the nation of Israel, well, well now it's, it's on America. No, it's not on America. Listen, I, I, I hate to break it to you. God could, God could care less about America. Now, he loves Americans, just like he loves Canadians and Mexicans and Egyptians. And we can go all the way down the list of the now 200-plus nationalities in the world. But God could care less about America. Now, God blessed America because we talked about this in Sunday school because she followed biblical principles. But listen, any nation that will follow those biblical principles will be blessed. It's nothing to do intrinsically because we're America. 
But God had blessed the nation of Israel. God has blessed America. And we have to realize the important emphasis in this parable. Look back at verse number one of our text there in Mark. It says, And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fed and built a tower and led it out to the husband and went into a far country. Listen, Jesus sets it up very clearly that this owner gave the tenants everything they could possibly need. He built a wall around it to protect the investment. He had the wine press built, a lower vat dug to collect the juices from the grapes. He built a tower so the grapes of the wine could be stored and the sentry could be posted to watch it. And then he leased it out to a group of wine growers, vineyards. Everything, everything. He gave them everything that they needed. You know what the most hideous part of the story is? Look at how they repaid him. I mean, outside of renting the property, everything else was given to them. See, there's an important basis of ownership. You say, because what does that have to do with us? He's given us a lot. He's given us a lot. All the things that he has given us, all the ways he has set you up for success to accomplish the tasks that he has for you to do. Listen, there's a direct relationship between gratitude and ownership. Look at Romans chapter number two. Romans chapter number two. Verse number four, or to preface thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. There's a direct relationship between gratitude and ownership. The goodness of God, what leads people to repentance, is we reflect on all that God has entrusted to us. The logical response. You, you hear me often say this. <laughs> it's the least that we can do. Not that it's the least amount that we can do. It's the only logical conclusion to come to. To do everything that we can to be faithful with what God entrusted us. Do you remember all the way back when we first started this, I gave you the four principles. What was the first principle? We own nothing and God owns everything. (laughs) When I was in Norway, this is is just an interesting fact, but I've learned that it's more common than we realize many times in, in life, especially in some of the older parts of the world, 
Do you know the king of Norway owns Norway? Legally. He owns it. That means when you, well, you know, I, I go to my house, it's not your house. It's his house. If he wanted to and if he chooses to, which there's no logical uh, reason to do so, he could cash everything in. Kick everybody out of the country because he owns everything. He's just nice enough to let you live in his country. Listen, God owns everything. He's just nice enough. He's a benevolent God. He's a loving God. But notice all this happens while the master's gone. The end of the first verse, it says, and he went on a far journey. All of what's about ready to transpire happened while the master was gone. See, none of this would have ever occurred had the master not been, had the master been present. Listen, we, we're all, most of us are old enough to realize we're all a lot of talk when the person isn't actually in the room. But a lot of times that changes when the person's there. We, we disagree with something or somebody and we spout off at the mouth. But a lot of times you wouldn't do that if the person was standing right in front of you. Listen, everything that happens happens because the master wasn't present. But see, this is a sign of true character. It comes out, it comes to the surface when the boss isn't around. You know, everybody's, everybody works really hard when the boss is there, but it makes you wonder how much actually got accomplished this past year with everybody working at home. Yeah. And we all, we all see the commercials or, or the jokes, you know, where they're only dressed from half, you know, waist up because no one ever sees anything from the waist down anymore. I say that to say this because I, I remember, uh, you guys know uh, I'm a huge college sports fan, especially March comes around, March Madness, it's my Christmas. Do you, you realize that work production drops 90% the month of March? Because while everybody's supposed to be doing uh, spreadsheets and, and uh, databases on their office computer, they're checking their bracket in there. Same, I'm sure the same thing now with, with fantasy football. You know, everybody's got to get their team organized and strategized and all of that. But why? People wouldn't do that with the boss looking over your shoulder the entire time. As we, as we mature, I mean, uh, Kendra taught kindergarten. I mean, she's going to just stand there and this is what you have to do. And you've got to stand there and you've got to do it. Now, you can you just imagine going to college and the professor standing over your shoulder, making sure that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. No. But because there should come a point in time in our life where you just do what is the right thing to do, not because someone is there watching you. I was, you guys know I wasn't good at English in school. I'm thankful that it didn't happen to me, but uh, there was a, I had to do bonehead English in college. There was someone else in the class, and like I said, I'm thankful it wasn't me, and this, this paper was returned to them, 
And I mean, it was it was probably the most informational paper of the entire class. And yet it got the worst grade. And everyone knew that. I mean, that this was the most informative paper. And so he questioned the teacher as to why he got such a bad grade. And the teacher responded, listen, you're in college now. It's filled with incomplete sentences, uh, run-ons, and just, it was, grammatically, it was horrible. He's like, listen, you may have have the best information and the well-researched paper in the world. He's like, but you're in college now. I don't have time to teach you the basics anymore. You're, you, you need to be past that in your life. See, there's people today, Jesus isn't physically here anymore. And the choices we make about what we are going to do with what he has entrusted with us says a lot about our character. See, as good stewards, as good owners, we should be responsive to the expectations of God. Look at verse number two. And at the season... He sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. See, the owner rightly expected a return on his investment. Listen, this, that was part of the deal all along. It, wasn't, it shouldn't have been of any surprise that the guy shows up and is like, okay, I need my return. Listen, I... I I gave you the vines, I gave you the grapes, I gave you the wine press, I gave you the protection, I gave you tools, I gave you everything you needed. Now, I, I may be the nicest boss in the world, but I didn't do it necessarily because I'm nice. I, I did it to further myself. This is no different than, than God. There should have been no reason for him to make the investment in the first place unless there was a means of collecting. So the owner was simply asking them with whom he had been so generous by setting up in the business to give them the portion of his fruit. We would call him a venture capitalist today. But again, you say, what does that have to do with us? Why do you think God saved you? See, we're, listen, listen, God does love us, obviously. He wouldn't have done everything that he did if he didn't. But are we really foolish enough and naive enough to believe that God did all of that for and he wasn't expecting anything in return? Honestly? Again, we're, we, we need to get to a point in our life as we mature. Really? You, you, we, God just, you know, this, this is where the whole, you know, I got saved, I got my fire insurance, I can go live the way that I want to live, kind of loses its steam. Are you really that uneducated? Ignorant? 
There's a reason why God saved you. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning. Why did God start this whole mess to begin with? Listen, why would God want me? Think about it for a second. He was in heaven. And it, it, all throughout Scripture, we're, we're given a picture of the best of human ability of what heaven is going to be like. And it's so much greater than that. He had that. He had lots of angels at his beck and call. What is it? He could have called 10,000 angels, and that's not even all of them. But he had at least 10,000. I don't know about you, but if you had 10,000 servants, I'm not exactly sure if I could keep 10,000 servants busy. I'm just being honest with you. Anything that he wanted, he would have gotten. Then he's got creatures that they wander around heaven and their only purpose is to say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And that's the only words they know because then they go and repeat for all eternity. So he doesn't need his morale boosted. He's got that. Why in the world did he do it? He needed something in return. He wanted us to choose him freely because everybody else has to be. Has to be. Has to be. Listen, the angels have to do what God tells them to do. Look at John chapter number 15. John 15. Verse number 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Listen, why did God start this whole mess? Because he wanted you to bear fruit. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to bear fruit. Because the very first command given after God created everything was this, be fruitful and multiply. The very first command given on this earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Sunday night, we're, we're in the midst of our, our series, The Unsaved Christian. Listen, there's a, <laughs> a vast majority of people in Western civilization fall under that category. Either they think they're saved and they're not, or they're saved and they don't act like it. Remember, they were called Christians first at Antioch. Listen, they, they, we as followers of Christ never gave ourselves a label. 
They were called Christians first at Antioch. Why? Because they acted like Christ. They never took the they never took the label Christian. So the vast majority of people, like I said, especially in Western, they either aren't saved but they think they are. Or yeah, they got their fire insurance, but they don't sure act like a Christian. So they the, the study that we're going through, they fall underneath the category of an unsaved Christian. The greatest reason to become a Christian is that you now have the ability to live the life that you were always supposed to live. I, th- I think it was last week. We, we've been getting into some interesting territory on Sunday nights. I told you when I started this series, you're probably going to be made mad. Why? Because when I was studying it and researching it, it made me a little mad. But as we come out the other side, hopefully we'll understand what is trying to be portrayed to us. But listen, are we trying to point people to Jesus? Or are we trying to point people to heaven? See, we can get people pointed to heaven and we can get them saved, but well, I said last week, I hate to say that we, we didn't do them any good. We have done them some good. We haven't done them the ultimate, the best that we could have done. Because as human beings, we're so fragile and we miss 90% of what really salvation is about. We're like, oh, we get to go to heaven. We don't have to go to hell. That's so far, so far down the list of all the great benefits when it comes to being a Christian. That's not even top 10. Let's see, he, he said it there in John, what? Fruitful and multiply, what? That ye may ask what you will and it will be given to you. The Bible also makes a statement, what? That I will give you the desires of your heart. Now listen, God's not some magic genie where you get the, get the lamp out and you get to rub it and you get three wishes. Listen, no, that's not what it's saying. You literally, God will literally give you the desires of the things that you're supposed to have so then he can give them to you. That means that everything that you eventually end up wanting in your life is fulfilled because your wants are his wants and they're not your wants. And listen, I'd rather have all the stuff that God wants to have than all the stuff I want to have. Listen, we all want to make a difference. Not, hopefully not just as our time on this earth, but for eternity. Listen, God has a reason why you're here. Listen, God's not some twisted masochist. There's a reason why you're here. Be fruitful and multiply. If once you are saved, now, if you're not saved, we can take care of that. But once you're saved, the reason why you're here is this. There's someone that you are supposed to affect. Listen, when your time on earth, listen, he's not going to keep us around any longer than we have to be here because he loves us. 
If you're still here, then there's someone that you're supposed to help. Now listen, that might mean that you're supposed to get them saved, lead them to Christ. That might be, maybe there's some intuition, some knowledge that you can bestow upon them. But listen, there's a reason why you're here, and it's this, be fruitful. Not just sit on our backside and enjoy the comforts of being an American Christian. The word produces, it gives him honor and it gives him glory. Why? I told you that there was a, I mean, that's creatures in heaven. That's, that's all they do. They give God honor and glory. Listen, but God, they, they have to. Kinder will sometimes make this statement. Well, you have to, you're my husband. Asked me, so don't they, does this outfit look good on you? Of course it does. Well, you have to say that you're my husband. Religion has gotten so far off course because we're like, have to, have to, have to, have to. Listen, God's got all the have tos he wants, he needs. He's got too many of them. He kicked a third of them out of heaven because of it. It's about time that there's a group of people that simply say, get to. Not have to. Anyhow, listen, I, I, Sunday school. You don't have to do anything. Listen, I'm an American. I don't have to do anything. I don't want to do. I mean, most of us have that opinion. Well, I, I add on top of that, well, not only that, am I an American? I'm a Christian. Well, now I really don't have to do anything I don't want to. But you get to. Most people look at the Bible as a list of do's and don'ts. Listen, you don't have to do anything. You do not, listen, there's not one single thing in the Bible that you have to do. You are free to do whatever you want to do. But what we don't enjoy is what comes afterwards. No matter what you do or don't do, there's consequences for it. And you have no control over the consequences. Listen, you don't want to accept Jesus as your Savior? You don't have to. I'm not going to put a gun to your head. But there's a consequence for not doing it. You, you, you want to live a life that, that's full of, of uh, drinking and smoking and running around and all of that? Listen, you can, you can do that. There's just consequences for that. See, that's why ownership is so important. Listen, when we really realize that everything God has entrusted with us, because we, don't, we own nothing and he owns everything, it helps us reflect on the greatness of God. Helps us commit ourselves to better use of the stuff that he has given us. But I, for one, am thankful for this, that good owners, good stewards, are amazed at the patience of God. The patience of the master. 
Listen, we've, we've seen the shocking behavior of the wine growers. The, 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 the master isn't here. We're beaten, killed, stoned. There's no recognition or appreciation for what had been given to them and no belief that they had any responsibility to return to the owner who had invested so much in them and who trusted them in his absence. But in stark contrast is the behavior of the owner, of the master. Under normal circumstances, the master would not have given his servants multiple opportunities to make the right choice. But that's the significant part of the story. Jesus isn't just illustrating any master. He's illustrating the, the divine patience of God. Flip over to Psalms chapter number 86. Psalms chapter number 86. Verse number 15. But thou, O Lord, art God, full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Verse number 6 of our text there in Mark. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, Thou will reverence my son. And he sent the servants and they didn't, weren't able to accomplish the task. Not that it was their fault. He made the statement, I have one more to send. A beloved son. He sent them last of all saying this, that they will respect my son. What did Jesus say to the rich man that died? What, I, 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 the rich man, I got... Five brothers. Listen, they have Moses and the prophets. They didn't like them. They have me. They didn't. Listen, if, if, they, if they didn't respect Moses and the prophets and they didn't respect me, the fact that someone comes from the dead is nothing. Nothing. Won't do them a bit of good. The truth of, truth of the matter is this is there's all kinds of people. There's numbers of people who are making significant strides and can look back over the past year and see clear progress, clear ways where you have produced spiritual fruit. There's evidences that you have respect for God's Son. But let's just be honest. For some people, the truth is, is they haven't taken steps towards greater fruitfulness. They haven't recognized God's authority, his ownership. They have taken what he has entrusted and used it on themselves as if it belongs to them. Listen, that's bad on so many levels. It's especially bad because what it says is about our true view of Jesus. Listen, if we don't respect the Son, we don't respect God, we don't respect the Son. Jesus poses a question in verse number 9. What 
shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do. What's he going to do? What in the, they just killed his son. What is he going to do? Look at Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter number 21. Verse number 41. They said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto the husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. See, that, this is the parallel account of what we're looking at in Mark. We learn that the people were so into the story that many of them had not yet made the connection of who Jesus was talking about. It reminds me of when Nathaniel came to David, told David a story, made David so mad. I'm going to go kill him. And then they're going to repay four times of what they took. David was hot. And then he looks at him and says, guess what, David? You're the man. You're the man. You're the one that did all of this. Listen, this should motivate us. Good stewards are subdued by God's judgment. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Well, you don't know what, if I do that, and I mean, if I'm nice to somebody, and, 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 and I go over the top, and, and I give to them, they just might stab me in the back. They might. You're right, they might. Listen, I, I highly doubt that there's anybody that has done anything for a significant amount of time of helping people, where at some given point in time you haven't got stabbed in the back. Just being honest with you. But listen. Can you create anything? We learn in science, no, as human beings, we can't create anything. We can take mass and turn it into energy, or we can take energy and turn it into mass. But none of us can create matter. You can't create anything. And yet God created all of this. He'll take care of it. Several years ago, I was talking to a, a friend of mine. Made this statement. Did you ever... Wonder why the Israel's getting bombed right now. Hey, how many of you? But it, it's okay because they're most well, mostly peaceful rockets. Did you see that the, the dude on CNN made the statement? But it's okay. It's mostly peaceful rockets. I realize it's a small reactor. I apologize, but that's just where did where how did you get that? I'm just saying. Anyway. God created everything. We can create nothing. God will take care of it. How 
vengeful. See, we, we think of, of vengeance as a bad thing. Well, you're not supposed to get angry when well, the Bible says be angry and sin not. Vengeance isn't a bad thing. It's just 99.9% of the time bad than we do as human beings. Because we have bad motives. God will take care of it. And listen, he'll take way more care of it than we ever could. And part of being a good steward, part of owning our life is realizing there's just sometimes we're easier said than done, I realize. You just got to let God take care of it. We understand biblically and logically that if God is truly holy, there will be a final reckoning for those who have chosen to reject the Son. And the, the truth be told this, and when we really, truly love and understand Jesus the way that we're supposed to, you don't want anybody to fall into that sphere. You don't want any of your friends and your family, your neighbors, your co-workers. Listen, it, it shouldn't be, it, preachers shouldn't have to stand up every Sunday night, every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, Thursdays and Saturdays, begging people to tell people about Jesus. You want to know why they have to? Because you don't love the Son the way that you're supposed to. But aren't you glad that's not where the story ends? Because the vineyard is given to others and the stone builders rejected becomes the chief cornerstone. Listen, good stewards. Lastly, good stewards, good owners, the people that have reached ownership are encouraged by God's triumph. This, this should, while, while bad things and sad things and things that should have never happened happened in the story. In the end, it was, it was corrected. It was made right. Good owners are encouraged by God's triumph. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we're thankful that you allowed us to come and worship and learn.